0: Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, All About Movies. You're listening to the Jam Price Show All About Movies, and today my guest is award-winning writer, director, producer, Kathleen Hermitage, and we're going to be talking about her brand new documentary entitled Mixtape Trilogy. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you, Jan. It's fun to be here. It's nice to have you on the show. This is a real interesting um, documentary uh, for so many reasons, because I don't think anyone really has covered um, fans and the musicians that we all love. So tell me how did this project uh, come about?
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, for the kind words. I have worked on a lot of music documentaries, um, and one in particular called Chasing Train um, about John Coltrane. Um, I had worked on in and- finished up in 2016, and I live in the Denver area, and there's a, a, a man that I worked with here, his name is Alan Cogan. he's a philanthropist, and he had seen that film, and he wanted to make a film about the power of music, so we collaborated about that, and talked about what does that mean, what does the f- power of music mean, and it, mean, it can mean a lot of different things, um, the power of music to help people with dementia, or help kids um, find a career path, or get to college. College or all of those are great topics, but we were interested in the connection that music creates between people. Um, People that sometimes don't even always meet in the same places, right? Because we're going to music venues and we're we're seeing our favorite artists and we might not uh, meet the people that um, are at those concerts if it weren't for those musicians. So, um, yeah, we wanted to focus on that connection, how music brings people together.
0: And and I just let, let you know that Spencer Proffer, who you worked with on Chasing Train, uh, was on my show uh, talking about that film, and he's actually was on again last year with his documentary about uh, the day the music died. Uh, and uh, Spencer and I have become really good friends. I've also you also worked with John Scheinfeld, which he was one of the producers on this, and also I had him on the show with Sergio Mendez, which you also worked on. <laughs> <laughs> was it music in the key of joy? Is that was, I can't remember the title right now. Yeah, something
1: that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes, I did work on those. Yes, we're all in good
0: company. We're all yeah,
1: yes, all those people. Yes, yes we yes, are. So
0: a very fun group. Yeah, and and great that you've worked with some really wonderful people. But you started your career in education, correct? So this I, is I kind of a yeah, natural yeah. segue for you, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um. It's kind of funny how, well, I mean, I studied literature and I loved it. I love poetry. I mean, even one of the stories in our film, The Hip Hop Architect, one of the reasons I love that story is because they're studying lyrics and I'm just like, oh, you know, Um, it's so fun to get to do that. But yeah, I studied literature. I went into publishing, um, worked on a lot of educational videos and always wanted to get to the documentary world. I made a bunch of uh, smaller films for education um, that were like little mini docs and kind of I really learned the craft then um, of production, for sure. Um, you know, flying here and there and having your jacket on the back of the office door, ready to go to some, you know, meeting to film whatever subject. Um, I loved that. I thought it was fantastic. Um, but it wasn't until I worked with John Sheinfeld on a, a baseball film that I really got into the doc world.
0: And how did you end up working with John Sheinfeld on a baseball film?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was living in Chicago at the time, and I am a longtime Chicago Cubs fan. i um, um, it was 2008. They did not go to the World Series that year, but everybody thought they were going to go to the World Series. And it was August, and they were working on this documentary about the Chicago Cubs. It was basically about um, why does a group of people follow a team that hasn't won a World Series in a hundred years? So that was the question we were t- attempting to answer. Um, but anyway, a friend of mine had been working on it, and she had to go work on something else. And she said, "This um, movie is in town. They need." So and so to do this and that. And so I got the job, and um, I already was working on something else, but I thought, I really thought the Cubs were going to go to the World Series that year. So I joined the project (laughs) anyway. And um, yeah. That was the first project I worked on with John.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing.
1: It's interesting.
0: I, I want to ask you really, how did you choose the three different artists that you chose and the fans for this documentary? Because there's so much to choose from, I would assume, right? So what made you choose these three artists? And why don't you tell our listening audience uh, a, a little bit about each one, and we can get into more detail.
1: Sure. Well, the um, I had a treatment that I wrote for the film. I, I knew I wanted three stories. That seemed like a good number. I knew I wanted a variety of artists, and I even had a wish list of who I was hoping we could get in the film. Um, I wanted artists that could speak about the creative process, how they put together their music. Not all musicians like to do that. It's kind of a We're creative people in general, you know, don't necessarily like to talk about that. It's kind of magical and mysterious, and um, it can take away some of the um, beauty of it if you take it apart too much. But I wanted people that like to talk about that. And um, so that was one of the criteria that I had. Also, I was interested in having a variety of music in the film, right? So um, I chose artists that I also could be challenged by um i wanted to have fun with this film i wanted to learn in the, through the process of making this film i wanted to do things um, that I hadn't done before I wanted to talk to people I hadn't really talked to before So that was part of the motivation too So Indigo Girls I mean I've been a long time fan of the Indigo Girls um, And they were on my list And I was thrilled That they decided to accept To be in our film I mean you have to pitch the artists right So you have right. to explain This is what the film's going to be about This is what we're going to do And they can decide whether or not they want to be in it So Indigo Girls were the first group I think that um, had said yes we want to do this and I you know was very happy about that that was like a dream come true um, Vijay Iyer I had been following him a little bit I was familiar with his music and I um, noticed his advocacy on his Twitter feed he's very much an advocate for all kinds of causes causes, but mostly like around racial issues and, and I found his just his backstory to be fascinating as well as his music he's just brilliant and Talb Kweli is just you know he's a fantastic lyricist um, it's fun to look at his were as if it's poetry so um that that's all great fun for me those three artists for all of those reasons
0: so how did you find the indigo girls super fan did they direct you to her i mean because that was a pretty amazing story uh and you know yeah they, we'll get into that a little bit more but um yeah so how did you, how did they, did they just, I mean, obviously they know her, they're friends with her. Uh, is that why they chose to do this documentary? Because of their relationship with their super fan? And what's her name again? I'm so sorry.
1: Oh, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan. Yes. Um, well, we did a lot of research for this film to try to find the subjects, including the fans. So Mike Ford was the first subject, even before the Indigo Girls, um, was the first subject that I chose for the film. I reached out to him in the fall of, winter of 2018 and he was living in Madison Wisconsin at the time he was flying out to Denver which is the area I live in and I met him outside the airport and said this is (laughs) this is the film I'm going to be making you know would you be in it so it really is more through a process of a lot of research trying to figure out which subjects might be the best fit, most compelling story. Um, Maybe their uh, backstory shed some light or some angle on the music that another person wouldn't. I mean, there were a lot of uh, criteria that went into who we chose. Um, And Garnett, with Vijay's story... Um, he's just such a fascinating guy I mean, he has, the way that he lives his life How he walks through it How he um, uses music in a way um, To enrich his life In a way that I don't think most people do um, Maybe I'm wrong But I think he's a, a really great subject So I was through a lot of research Sometimes we talk to, you know, the people that are working with the musicians And get some ideas, but Ultimately, it comes down to yeah, a lot of research.
0: And then uh, the VJ is from uh, Fairport, New York, where I lived. uh, I lived in Rochester for a good portion of my adult life. Again, you know, we have a lot six degrees of separation here, Kathleen. (laughs) So that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting to hear about growing up. In, in, Rot- in Fairport, New York, which is Rochester, uh, a suburb of Rochester, and about his heritage and, um, how he described it since he's from oh, India. And, uh, you know, how he felt growing up because it was not, I don't know of what it's like now, but at that point in time. Um, not too many people from India were perhaps living there. And so that was interesting. So how did, uh, you know, that is also fascinating how you picked each one of them and they all had interesting backstories themselves, obviously. I think everybody in in this world has an interesting backstory if we just listen and uh, talk to them about their lives. But for you, what was that like, hearing his story?
1: Vijay's, yeah, I mean, he's just a... Uh, he's. I. I don't know if I knew anybody like him. I've ever known anybody like him. Um, his parents, yes, did immigrate from India. Then they uh, settled or raised their family, like you said, in Fairport. And for him, he was, you know, the only person of color in his neighborhood and his school. And he talks about the challenges of growing up that way, and also with some. Uh, recognition of the privileges that he had. Mm-hmm. His parents were well-educated. They invested in his education. Um, he talks about all of that in the film, but he's very much aware of how he's different. And I think um, anybody who, who's experienced that, um, where you're in a certain situation and you're challenged by your environment, you're not sure quite how to navigate it, um, I think he speaks very eloquently about that in our film, and then how he kind of finds music. You know, he's a—he's somebody who's brilliant in his own academic sense, but then he also has this rich music history, and in, um, he's self-educated. I mean, he's self-trained. He's a pianist at the level that he is, composing music for musicians, you know, that perform all over the world, and he's self-taught. Um, And he learned under some great jazz musicians. So he had chosen this rather atypical path, some people might say. I mean, he was heading for this academic career. And then the music just kept pulling him back in. And now he's made, you know, that his life's work. But that's not without a lot of questioning about his identity and where his parents come from and where he grew up. And how people of color navigate the world, and he,
0: he he manages to put all of that into his music. Yes, and and he also comes from one of the you know great musical cities of our, in our country. Really, you know, you've got the Eastman School of Music there, and so many amazing uh, artists have come from Rochester, New York. Uh, especially jazz, you know, it's a jazz center. I mean, they still have the jazz festival there, I believe, every year. And what a great environment for him. But he didn't go to the Eastman School, did he?
1: No, I mean, he went to Berkeley for a PhD or doctorate program in physics. But, I mean, we didn't, we had it in the interviews. I didn't quite make it into the film. But he, he has, you know, he had the same sort of pop music influence and interests that you know i had you know he was listening to prince and michael mm-hmm. jackson in fact he has a cover of michael jackson's human nature that's really lovely um he's got this you know pop music background he was in like a rock band when he was in high school mm-hmm. you know in addition to playing the the violin and the piano so he, I think all of that rich experience and the questions and like you're saying, the influences, I think sometimes maybe you're not even aware of. Um, I think all of that makes its way into his music one way or the other. It's in there. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I was grateful for in the film is that we have Garnett, the fan. He kind of opens the door, at least he did for me, into Vijay's music so that I can see. I felt like I was walking through a hall Of someone explaining, you know, all these sounds and all these influences in Vijay's music, because some of that can be a little challenging if you don't have someone kind of guiding you through. And I thought Garnett did a great job for us.
0: Oh, he did. He's fascinating on his own. So let's talk about him and how you, you know, how you got him. Because his story, as is Dylan's story, too, which we didn't, you know, I did want to go back to just a little bit. We'll go back to Dylan's story. But let's talk about Garnet's story and and, and, uh, Vijay's story together and how they discovered one another.
1: Yeah, that in terms of like story structure in the film, I really wanted to have something like a, John Dos Passos, the novelist, early 20th century uh, structure where you have two people that are from very different places and they cross paths. And then what happens? There's so many. We're so used to that story structure now. But at the time, you know, 100 years ago or something, that was rather new. And I I love that structure because here are, yes, Garnett is born in Kingston, Jamaica. Vijay's grows up in Fairport, New York, and they cross paths through music. So uh, Garnett has this great backstory about how he uh, loved to be on the streets of Kingston, Jamaica, because he loved the sounds, and he loved the music, and he loved the dancing. He just was addicted to that. So even though he was a teenager and a kid, maybe it wasn't always the safest place for him to be, he just kept walking and walking and walking and following the music. And then of course he moves to New Orleans which is another great music right. city another one. and kind of the same thing it's just yeah he just can't he can't not be out on the streets he's a man of the streets he wants to hear the sounds of every place that he lives in as a way to experience it and then he gets to New York and um yeah meets Vijay um and I the way that he is introduced to Vijay's music and how it influences his experience of living in New York um, is something that we explore in the film. Um, and they just are so. That story was one of the more tricky ones to put together because they're so cerebral, those two guys. Right. They're just brilliant men. Yes. But the warmth that. I feel when I watch that story even though I've seen the film, you know, a million times now, um it still moves me. I just think they're just lovely. It's just such a lovely story of two men um forming a friendship. So, yeah,
0: it really is. And 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 so diverse, such <laughs> diverse. But both of them basically immigrants.
1: Yeah, and I was glad that we could touch on that in the film, because that was something that was definitely topical, something going on in the news uh, waves of the time we started the film in 2018. And there's a lot of sort of traumatic, confusing messages, I think, that were put out into our society right. about how to look at immigrants and and race, and, and none of that has gone away. Um, but we did address that in our film through the prism of music.
0: Yes, you d- yes, you definitely did. So let's go back to Dylan and the Indigo Girls, because in a way, their story was sort of parallel. I mean, she became a fan at a rather young age and started to go see them. And then let's talk a bit about what her story is, if you don't mind. I don't think it's giving anything away to talk about it.
1: I know. I keep sort of checking myself. Am I giving things away? Kind of maybe a little bit, but it's okay. It's, it's with Jan, so it's fine. Uh, uh, Dylan. Yeah. Dylan grew up in a, um, what you, one might say is sort of a typical sub, what we might think of as a sub utopian sort of suburban environment where she rode her bike every day on the street and was outside all day and um, but not a lot of maybe diversity in her experience uh, um, uh, maybe a little bit more homogenous um, and this is her growing up in like the 70s When and then of course in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s it wasn't necessarily um, acceptable to talk about being gay or coming out you know there's all kinds of shows I mean when Ellen DeGeneres did it, you know, it threatened her entire career until she had her show. And it it just was a different time. And I think it's sometimes uh, challenging for the rest of us to kind of check in and remember that, yeah, you know, it was. People didn't do that um, like they do now. And I'm grateful that it's different now. Yes, yes. But for Dylan, the Indigo Girls kind of were not only great Uh, musicians and songwriters, and she had that hook of, you know, wanting to listen to their music and just liking it, but that they represented this empowerment, right, Mm -hmm. even if they weren't necessarily coming out right away, because they too were sensitive to what the society was like at that time. But they kind of open the door, you know, for I think a lot of people, um, men and women, um, to be authentic, to really just be who they are. And that's a powerful thing um, when no one else is doing it. And not only that, but... Dylan found her community. So it allowed Dylan to become the person that Dylan wanted to be. But it's all through the music and the community around the music and also Indigo girls themselves. It's,
0: you know, it's a it's it's a beautiful, I mean each one of these I have to tell you is unique and beautiful in its own way and um and and that also was very, you know, touching how the parallels were with the Indigo girls at the time and she didn't know and all of that. So uh it It is beautiful. And the fact that we can talk about that. But I really do want to talk about the last segment with Talib, because I have to tell you, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I saw that that was about hip hop, I went, I think I can kind of snooze through this. And yet, this was my favorite segment of the three loved 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 wow. this story so uh, you know and you know again how we somehow perceive something you know that we it opened up my eyes it educated me in a whole new way a new appreciation of hip-hop that I never had as a white woman um and I just want to tell you I loved this story I loved it loved it so so <laughs> that's why I was saving it for last <laughs> Wow, that's great. You're welcome. You're welcome. No, it's from my heart. From my heart. Really. I cried. I, I cried through the segment. I did. Um very much so. And I was very touched and moved by it. So our audience knows a little bit what we're talking about. Why don't you talk a little bit about Talib and his story? I'm getting teary right now, I have to tell you, Kathleen.
1: Oh, I know. I cry every time. And like I said, <laughs> yeah. I've seen the film more than anybody. So um it's still yeah, it still moves me to tears for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um well we have Mike Ford, the hip- hip-hop architect. And he talks about his first experiences with hip-hop, and then also how he was drawn to the field of architecture. Um, he has a rather traumatic event happen in his life, uh, one of those life-changing events where, you know, you hope, well, none of us get away, you know, unscathed, but right. one of those fall to your knees, you know, kind of okay. moments. Um, and he really wanted to figure out what was his purpose in life, how what, what he should be doing. And so, So because of his love of hip hop, he combined the two, his love of architecture and his love of hip hop in a really substantive way um, to try to help kids in his community. Um, And he, uh, in our film, he talks about his interest in Tal Kweli's work and why it's important to him. Um, And so we go through the the piece, Every Ghetto, and kind of take it apart um, so that the viewer can see everything that's going on in there, but also in an architectural way. So we are making hip hop lyrics into architecture it's basically what happens Amazing. in the film but more importantly i think to your point like the moving part is that he really puts together a nonprofit to address um, the lack of uh, african americans in the field of architecture um, but it's all coming from his heart it's all coming from this place where he's trying to Overcome this, you know, horrible thing that happens. It's
0: it's a it's a beautiful segment, and uh, the whole movie is. It's really fascinating, very different. You've done a wonderful job with it. And uh, where can people see it? (laughs) Mixtapes trilogy. Yeah,
1: so it's on iTunes, Google Play, Voodoo, Xbox. It's on cable. In demand, AT and T, Direct TV, and Dish. We would love it if people followed us on Instagram because we're going to be announcing some more digital platforms that are going to be releasing it by later this week. So, and we'd love to be able to share news about the film in general.
0: So, what's your Instagram so people can? It's mixtape trilogy. Mixtape trilogy. And Instagram. All right. Yes. Thank you. I wish you much success. It's a wonderful, wonderful documentary. It's my pleasure to have you on the show. And I just wish you a lot of success with Mixtape Trilogy. Everybody seek it out. It's wonderful. It's very. If you love music, uh, you'll love this uh, documentary.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's so fun to talk to you and learn the people that we have in common. That was great.
0: I know. <laughs> For me, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. To all my wonderful, loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me, the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, And of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment, or review, drop me an email at thejampriceshow.com. Thank you for listening.